there are wonderful blessings found in expository preaching. One of them is we get to see the context of a passage. We get to, to understand a full book of the Bible. Going verse by verse through books of the Bible gives us the big picture, helps us to understand passages in the original context. But there are also challenges to expository preaching. In some ways, it makes you want to become a topical preacher when you come to passages like Matthew 14, 1 to 12. You say, why? Why would you want to be a topical preacher? Well, because if I was a topical preacher, I might avoid passages like this. (laughs) But the Lord doesn't want us to, does he? It's all part of God's word, and he put it here for us to learn and to grow. Are y'all like me? When you're watching the news, something really gory or bad comes on, you're just like, "Eh, I think I'll just skip that. And you can just push the remote and go on to the next one. Change the channel. Go to something a little brighter. Well, today, you can't change the remote. We're just going to talk about a really nasty, ugly picture. It's a hard passage. To be perfectly honest, it's one of those that I wish I could just kind of skim over and go to the next one because he feeds 5,000 people. Doesn't that sound like fun? It's going to be great next week. Instead, we're going to be talking about a man getting his head chopped off. But there's value in this. There's value in knowing the, the depravity of man for several different reasons and, and, and why you really need to pay attention because it does give us a glimpse into the heart of those that we live around, who we live around. It's the world that we live in. But more importantly, it gives us a glimpse into our own heart apart from the grace of God. It shows us how much we need a Savior. You say, well, I'm not Herod. I would never do anything like that. No, you're not Herod. And no, you're not a king. And no, you don't have millions of dollars. But yes, you were born with the same heart. So it's important for us to look at passages like this and see the wisdom that the Word of God does by revealing the nastiness, the ugliness of our world. And we will see for sure that sin blinds us to the truth. Sin blinds us to the truth. Let's look at our passage, the outline of our passage. You can see how it unfolds. If you're reading along here, you might not see the flow of the narrative. It's a little bit tricky. And honestly, there's a little translation error, or not error, but a a translation assumption that's made in verse 13 of chapter 14 that kind of would throw you off even more if you're not careful. So I kind of want to give you the outline and how this fold unfolds. Remember, we saw previously that Jesus revisits Nazareth in verse 53 to 58, and that he had seen his hometown and the hometown rejected him, right? We come to chapter 14, and it is very important that you note that verses 1 and 2 continue the flow of the narrative from 53, 13, 53, 58, 1, 2... And then there's a stop. And it's very important that you understand this little stop that happens in verse 3. In verses 1 and 2, you have Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus. He hears about Jesus in Nazareth and Galilee and all that's happening. The, The narrative going along very clearly. And he says to his servants, this is John the Baptist... He has risen from the dead. That is why miraculous powers are at work in him. So you say, wait a second. Okay, so what's the point? The point is is that we're going along and we see that Jesus has gone to Nazareth. He's in this Galilean area. He's revealing himself, but everybody's rejecting him. And then you get to one and two. And one of the rejectors, the next set of rejectors is guess who? Herod the Tetrarch. You say, well, he didn't reject him. Yeah, he did. We'll talk about that as we go along. 
He rejects it. Then in verse 3, down through verse 12, this is actually an excursion. You say, what's an excursion? An excursion is like one of those things when you go out on, you're on a cruise ship and you go on an excursion. You go on one of these little side trips that you go and have a good time and then you come back to the cruise ship. By, by the way, the Wallingfords are on a cruise right now. They're on the, uh, uh, an excursion probably. This is an excursion, a, a, a side note, a little side paragraph that explains something that had, had happened previously. So in verses 3 down through 12, it talks about... Herod's interaction with John the Baptist much earlier. We don't even know how long before. Maybe years. Maybe a year before? year and a half before? At the most, too. Then we come down in verse 13. And notice in verse 13 it says, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. When the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the city. Heard about John. Do you see that about John there? It's in italics in verse 13. About John. If you have the New American Standard, it's in italics. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot to look at ESV. What's the ESV say? Now when Jesus heard, does it say anything there? Heard this. That's all it says. Okay. So now when Jesus heard this, heard what? Well, you might think, verse 12, his disciples took away the body and buried them, and they went and reported it to Jesus. But guess what? That's not what he heard. You say, really? No, remember, this is an excursion. <laughs> an excursus. He actually heard about what? 1 and 2. Verses 1 and 2. He heard that what? Herod was now saying what? Jesus is John the Baptist resurrected. Okay? This is very important. And the reason why is otherwise you can't understand the flow of the document. You can't understand the flow of the narrative. Does everybody understand this? Yes? No? Kind of? Maybe? Okay. Good. So how does that all fit together? Well, ultimately, Jesus, the main point of this is Jesus is misidentified once again. Jesus is misidentified once again. Remember, at this time, there's the outline. So 1 and 2, Herod misidentifies Jesus. 3 through 12 is the excursus where Herod's guilty conscience that misleads him into making this wrong assumption about Jesus. Why did he think the way he thought? Why did he think that John the Baptist had resurrected? Well, because his conscience was killing him over all that he had done to John the Baptist previously. So the main point of the whole section is what? Jesus is misidentified again. Okay? And then it'll pick back that narrative back up. The source of the authority of the Messiah was once again questioned. Hasn't this been our reoccurring theme? Remember last week, we saw that same theme. In 1354, he came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't he Mary's son? Misidentification again. Yes, he is Mary's son. But remember, he's not just a man. He's also from God. They misidentified him. It's just another one of us. So... That's the theme that's running down through this section. In Matthew 12, 24, it started where it said the Pharisees heard about these things and they said or heard what they had said, that Jesus was the son of David. And they say, this man casts out demons by Beelzebul, the ruler of demons. Misidentification of Jesus. Wrong source of authority. Wrong one that brings about the change, Correct? How was Jesus doing his miracles? Well, one, because he was the God-man incarnate. Two, because he, was in, he had the Spirit of God working through him to accomplish these miracles. Right? But they were misidentifying him. When he gets into his hometown, the same thing happens. How does he do this? He's just with us. We married his sisters. His brothers live around us. He's just a man. They misidentify him. 
What, what happens when Herod hears about him? In 14.2, the same exact problem. What was the problem? This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Why did Herod make this outlandish claim? I mean, wasn't he living in the same rough area? Didn't he know that John and Jesus were totally different people? Why would he even think these things? When you read along in this passage here, you might be thinking, well, didn't we see Jesus and John even at the same location? This is one of those cases where knowing your geography of the Bible is very, very important. Understanding locations and where Herod was ruling over is very, very important. Ultimately, verses 3 to 12 tell us why he would come to this radical, weird understanding of John the Baptist, uh, that Jesus is the resurrected John the Baptist. We'll see, though, as we look at context, we'll understand it even better. So who was Herod the Tetrarch? Who was he? Well, first of all, guess what? He's one of the three sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great was who? He was the guy that had all the baby boys killed in Matthew chapter 2. He was a wicked, wretched father. Do you think he took after his father? From this story, yes, he did. He took after his father. He was wretched. Him and three other or two other siblings... Herod the Great's territory had been split up when Herod the Great had died. And it was split basically between his three sons. Herod the Tetrarch got a portion. Now the word Tetrarch, it's argued that that means a third, so he got a third of the property. The other was Philip and another one that had died. Okay, the other one died soon after. Herod the Tetrarch was over the Galilean area where Jesus had been ministering a lot. But he was also over another area. Now this is really, I don't, you can't see it that well. Can you see it? Kind of? Okay, to give you an idea, where's my little red marker? Isn't there a little thing on here? Oh, it's not there. It went away. All right, you're just going to have to guess. All right. Way up there at the top, you see Galilee? Who can see the Sea of Galilee? It's right up there, way up there at the top. Herod Antipas, or Tetrarch, was over that area at the very top. But guess what? He was also over this area down here. He was over this area. And you can't see it because my map's horrible. But right here, guess where this, what this little thing says? This area. This is where John the Baptist died. John the Baptist most likely did a lot of his a lot of his ministry right here. Okay? So where was Herod Tetrarch over? He was over all of this area, but he was also over an area up there. Very interesting. So you can see why, if he was down here for a long period of time, and they had engaged with John the Baptist and had him killed while he was down here. This is the Dead Sea. He'd be a long ways away from Galilee. Then he moves up to Galilee, and when he's up there, what's he hear about? After he had had the one killed. After he had had John the killed, he'd hear about Jesus, and he would naturally think, this guy I killed, I know he was a righteous and holy guy. He's now what? Resurrected. Now he's doing miracles. I'm being haunted. Ultimately, what is that? Craziness. It's the speculation of the mind. And plus, the people were actually saying it. Some of the people were saying it. Now, again, for us who live in this world, where everything's immediately you're seeing what's happening on a TV screen, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's hard for us to see it. But these, this kind of news wouldn't be traveling. They didn't have social media. He wasn't seeing a picture. So ultimately, this is why these misunderstandings happen. But why? 
Matthew gives us the reason why he had this heart problem, why he was speculating that John the Baptist had resurrected and that Jesus was now John the Baptist resurrected. A misidentification. Again, what would that also mean about Jesus? Herod saying that Jesus is less than what? Less than God again. Why? Because it's a man, John the Baptist, that's resurrected, that's doing these miracles. Another one of those problems of not willing to embrace Jesus, the Messiah of the Bible, the way he's being revealed by his miracles and by the way he speaks. So, as you can see from the map, it appears Herod the Tetrarch had two areas, and John the Baptist had been executed down in the southern area, and when Herod had relocated, he had traveled up there, and he had heard about Jesus, and people were talking about this being John the Baptist resurrected. So why did Herod misidentify him? Put real simple, Herod misidentified Jesus because of his previous wretched treatment of John the Baptist. The way he had treated John the Baptist previously and all the wickedness that he had done had now what? Had consequences. He was now blinded in his sin and he couldn't see the truth of who Jesus was. Why did Herod misidentified Jesus. Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. What's the first word in verse 3? Four. That's because. You could translate it because. Why does he say this is John the Baptist resurrected? Because when Herod had John arrested, he bound him. And then verses 3 to 12 trying to explain it. Does everybody understand the flow of the passage? It makes very clear. It makes it very clear if you think through it, meditate through the passage, it helps us to understand it. So what we see here is sin begot sin, begot sin, sin blinded, and therefore he misidentified the Savior. Matthew gives us this excursus to explain the events around Herod's murder of John the Baptist in verses 3 to 12. And that's kind of what I want to focus a lot on today. Is It explains the circumstances around John the Baptist's arrest and execution. But it also reveals the heart of Herod, doesn't it? And it shows why he would be blinded to see who Jesus is. And by the way, that's the same truth for us. Our sin can blind us to the truth. You say, when you're talking to a neighbor or a friend and you're wanting to evangelize and tell them about the glories of Christ and they say, I just don't get it. Well, a lot of it can be just because of their sin. Their sin can keep them from seeing all of these things and they will misidentify it. You know, people come up with gods in their own mind because of a reaction to what? They're past sins. It's amazing how this happens. People make up things in their minds because of the depravity of their souls. Just be warned, the same can be true of us. We have to check our hearts, make sure that what we're doing and what we believe about God lines up with what? The Scriptures, not with what our experience has done. I had a dream. Well, that doesn't define who God is. The Bible does. Does everybody understand that? I had a bad experience. And so therefore, God is this. No. The Bible tells us who God is. The revelation from God tells us who God is. Not our experiences. So we see here. It explains the circumstances around John's arrest. So let's trace Matthew's narration of Herod's barbaric treatment of John the Baptist. First, I want you to notice Herod reacted wickedly for being confronted. Herod reacted wickedly for being confronted. That's at the beginning. When he had first met John, that's when he had heard about the events of John, and John had confronted him. Look at verse 3. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. 
Again, one of the two or one of the three sons, Philip. For John had been saying to him, quote, It's not lawful for you to have her. End quote. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. So what do we have here? We have a man who reacted wickedly because he was confronted by his sin. Boy, that's common, isn't it? Think about that for a second. Herod had John the Baptist arrested for confronting him with his sin with Herodias. So, who is Herodias? Herodias was Philip's wife, his brother's wife. That's not good. You don't take your brother's wife. Everybody agrees with this, right? That would be unrighteousness. That would be not following the law of God to take your brother's wife. Herod reveals, however, here a typical response to being confronted. By the way, don't most people make excuses and cover their sin when they're confronted with sin? All of us do, don't we, if we're really honest? When you're confronted with sin, do you say, yep, that's me, got me. Guilty as charged. Most of us do what? Yeah, but... Right? But you just don't know what... But... The circumstances, that's why I did it. Right? He, you know, come on. Don't we do that? We make excuses. So the question is, is why didn't Herod just make excuses? Why didn't he just say, Ah, John, you just don't know what I'm going through. You know, it's Philip's wife. She's very attractive. Philip doesn't mind if I have her. Why didn't he just make excuses? Well, he probably did in his mind, but guess what happens? John didn't stop. It says and implies by the wording here, John had been saying to him continuously, it is not lawful for you to have her. Uh Uh-oh. It's not lawful, and he said it how many times? Probably continuously. What does that mean? All of his excuses were falling on deaf ears for the preacher, the one that was proclaiming the truth to him. He was saying it over and over and over. You're not supposed to have this woman. You're not supposed to have this woman. So let me ask you a question. If your excuses are ignored, when somebody confronts you with sin, and you give the excuses, and your excuses are ignored, and they continue to tell you again and again, no, you're in sin... Know you're in sin. What happens to you? What what goes on inside your soul if you're not repenting? What happens? You get angry. You get angry. What did he talk about in Matthew chapter 5? Jesus talked about anger in your heart towards your brother. You murder. Hmm. What did Herod do? He does the very thing that he could do. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I think one of the hardest things for me to see is is that when we look out at our world, everybody's judging everybody. Everybody's saying, man, that guy's really a wretched person, or that woman's really a wretched person. We look out and we're saying that all the time. They're really, really bad. I would never do anything like that. The problem is, is once a person has the authority and power to fulfill their anger then they have the power to do it without consequence. Guess what they're going to do? They're going to fulfill it. You would too. You would too. We would too. Do you understand that that's our heart? If constantly you're told, this is sin, this is sin, and you make an excuse, and you have the power to silence the one that's telling you, guess what they're going to do? You're going to silence that person. Was Herod more wicked than us? Ooh, that's a hard question. Of course he was. I would never have somebody's head chopped off. Have you ever got angry? Remember Matthew 5. Remember Matthew 5. Oh, come on, you can skip this. (laughs) You don't need to do this chapter. 
Move past verse 12. I'm not Herod. When I'm reading through the Scriptures, how many of you are like me too? I I just love to identify with Daniel. (laughs) I saw myself in Daniel this week. I saw myself in Jeremiah. I saw myself in John the Baptist. Do we see ourselves in Herod? That's the question. A passage like this should bring us to our knees. should remind us of just who we are apart from God's grace. Why do we identify Jesus correctly? Answer, grace. Grace. Why am I not doing what he did? Grace. That's why Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to die for wretched sinners like us. Thankfully, though all abandoned him, he maintained and went to the cross and died for our sins. And now he's alive. And now we can live because of what he did for us. So when we look at Herod here and we see that Herod's horrible, it should remind us this is who we are apart from God's grace. But it also should say, I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to be courageous. How about you? I want to be like that. I do. I want to be willing to speak the truth. Now, I have to admit, a lot of people take this passage and even videos that I've ever seen of Jesus' story, you know, the Jesus story, where you have John the Baptist that's out there on the side and he's, he's, he just says, yeah, and Herod, he's just a wretched man because Herod was with his brother's wife and he was preaching it in public. That's how they make it sound when you see that. But, beloved, I, I, you know, I've read this and I've read this and I've read all the accounts and I don't see it as preaching. It says saying to him... What does that mean? It might be, and I'm not positive on this. Please forgive me if you don't. I don't think it was some public announcement. Herod is a wicked man that's with his wife's or his brother's wife. I don't think it was a public announcement that he made in the area to somehow get him popularity, which is what happens in our day. I think it was more along the lines that Herod might have even approached him before he arrested him. Or somebody approached him as a, a messenger for Herod saying, is it okay? You know, because this happens throughout church history. Have you seen this? That often people will go to the quote-unquote religious leader for an approval of what? You know, that's why the Church of England ultimately was started, right? <laughs> As much as we want to say it was because of the Reformation. Thankfully, the Reformation happened in England, but it was, it was despite the king, not because of the king. In this case, I think he, he spoke to him, or he had at least a messenger. And John the Baptist wasn't letting it up. He wasn't giving any ground. He was speaking the truth, even to a person in a power that had the ability and the authority to have him executed. So let me ask you a question. Are we that bold? Are we that courageous? Again, that doesn't mean that you have to go out in your workplace and announce, my boss is a wretched boss. I don't think that's how you should apply this passage. Hear me, beloved. I think that the point is is that he spoke when addressing the Herod, He spoke the truth in love. He spoke the truth. And he was courageous, wasn't he? I want to be like I want to be like John the Baptist in this case. I want to be courageous too. Only by the grace of God, right? And God working through us as we keep our eyes fixed on him. The circumstances of the divorce and the remarriage to his brother's wife was also a political lightning rod, as Josephus talks about. So maybe there was this attempt to gain an upper hand in the authority also by Herod over his brother. And I don't, we don't know all the details here. So maybe Herod came and was looking for advice on this. Either way, John was courageous and he spoke the truth without fear. 
And we know from Mark's account that even once in jail, John kept speaking the truth to Herod. So maybe it would have been one of these cases where he brought Herod in. I want some clarification. Please help me understand this better. And puts him in jail because he wants to silence him, but at the same time is talking to him. That's what we see from Mark's account. So, Herod did put John the Baptist in prison for confronting his sin. Second, we see Herod initially restrained the execution. Look at verse 5. It states, Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. Now, when you read verse 5, it looks as though Herod just has it out for John the Baptist, right? It seems as though John, he has no desire at all to free John the Baptist. But we know that's not true even from the context of Matthew's account. Why? Because look at verse 9. Verse 9 of 14. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths. Why would he be grieved? If he hated him all the more, wanted him dead, he should have rejoiced. Oh, that's a great, thank you. That is a good birthday request. I think I'll go ahead and have his head cut off. There is some tension that's going on inside of him. Mark's account gives us even more details of the tension that's going on inside of Herod. I think it's important for us to understand this too when we're dealing with the world. Is the world made up of a bunch of Herods? Answer, yes. Are they all as bad as they could be? No. Is Herod as bad as he could be? No. Why not? I believe because he had a conscience. God had given him a conscience. I believe that he knew right and wrong to a degree. You say, how do you know that he knew that? How do you know that he knew what was holiness and righteousness? Turn in your Bibles over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Isn't this a great passage? Even though it's a very hard passage. It's a great passage. The motives for Herod's reluctance to kill John is seen in various gospel accounts. So it's not just that he wanted him to dead. He also wanted him to give him the truth and give him a way out, it seems. Here we see Herod was afraid of the people in our Matthew 14.5. That shows one motive, one motive of Herod's heart. But I want you to listen closely, beloved. Herod's heart wasn't just that one motive. He had all these motives going on inside of him. He was just like the rest of the world that you deal with. Is your boss always going to be as bad as they could be? No, sometimes they have some good motives going on. And sometimes they have some bad motives going on. Look at Mark 6. 19, it states, Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. Very interesting. What's that imply? Her motives were pretty fixed. (laughs) She just hated him. She just hated him. And she took a grudge to it. For Herod, however, she could not have him put to death. For Herod was afraid of John. Afraid of John? Knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. Hmm. This is interesting. Herod, the wicked murderer, also knew what holiness and righteousness was. Why? Because he had a conscience. He had a conscience. He knew what right and wrong was. He heard it. He knew. Because all men have a conscience given by God. And he kept him safe. Kept John safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed. 
but he used to enjoy listening to him. Wow, isn't that amazing? This verse is, this verse is, wow, shocking to me. What's it say about the world? About a lost person? A lost person can literally be perplexed within them knowing that there's truth in this and there's righteousness in this person and in their message. But at the same time, I can't do it and I want him dead and I wish he would stop and I wish he'd be quiet. And I actually want to listen to him. Would you please talk some more? Give me some more. I want to hear. Boy, that's a mixed up mess in the heart, isn't it? That's what being an image bearer that's dead in sin looks like. It's a mixed up mess. So, Herod didn't have John the Baptist killed immediately. But do you see how this perplexing thought and all of this, knowing that he's a holy and righteous man, that would make him completely blind afterwards when he would begin to feel guilt over it. And he would misidentify who? The truth. Jesus Christ. Ugh. Man, I can relate with this guy as much as I hate this guy. I mean that in a righteous hatred. I can identify with him. Because this is my heart. This is who I was before I became a believer. The mixed up paradox inside my soul. That knew what was right and wrong, but yet what? Couldn't see it. And at times would hear a message. I, I remember even in my lost state, hearing occasionally, a, you know, uh, Billy Graham was always on the television, hearing a message and saying, man, this guy is really good and he's right. It's true and I'd really like to listen to this guy. I remember hearing some messages say, wow, this sounds really good. And he's right. I know some of y'all are, oh, but what about Billy Graham in his life? Come on. A truth is a truth. When a person speaks the truth from the word, it's the truth. And he heard and he was perplexed. See here, Herod knew his incestuous wife held a grudge against John and wanted him dead. But Herod wouldn't have it. He was waiting and revealed to be a fearful man. He wasn't a very good leader, was he? He was a wimp. He should have said, well, this guy's right. I think I'm going to let him go. I'm not going to have this. But he was afraid. He's fearful of her and fearful of man and fearful of everybody. This is the worst possible thing for a leader. Here... It was fear over John's character. He might be truly from God. John's life had matched his message. Do you see that? That's another great truth in here. Just because he was telling him, hey, you shouldn't be in this relationship over and over and over again. He was also what? Living it. He was a righteous and holy man and the world saw it. I want to be like John. How about you? I want to live what I preach. I need grace. I need God. I need the gospel. I need the Holy Spirit to work. All of us do. In fact, Herod enjoyed listening to John. So, do these two passages contradict Matthew 14.5 and 16? In Mark 6, 19 to 20. I don't believe so. Not at all. Herod had a conscience. He had mixed motives. He had times where he wanted him dead. And he had times that he wanted him what? He wanted to listen to him. Enjoyed listening to him. He had mixed motives. Did Herod hate to be confronted? Yes, he did. Absolutely. But when he was able to arrest John and silence him to the world, this took some of the threat away. Nobody else is hearing it. Herod didn't want him murdered. Or he didn't want to murder an innocent man. And he didn't want that on his resume for sure. 
But he also wanted John dead because John confronted him. As we will see, he was far from solid in his convictions. Herod wasn't really solid in his convictions, was he? Herod was revealed to be a wimpy leader who couldn't stand for the truth when put in a place that would mean losing a little face. That's very important. Turn back to Matthew chapter 14. So Herod was like so many other leaders in our world. They have their own best interest at heart. They lead with fear of man dominating them often. They also lead with a high view of themselves. They lead with a conscience that's often seared. Are they as bad as they could be? No. Are they as good as they could be? No. This is the characteristics of most unbelieving people. You know what's really cool? When I read through passages like this, I think to myself, man, is not God merciful? What? Why not have more Herods running this world? It very well could be that way. Do you understand? If the whole world was run by Herods, we'd all be running in fear. But God in His mercy doesn't let people be as bad as they could be as He restrains to a degree the wickedness of leadership in this world. By the way, these same characteristics are at work in the workplace. You hear me? It's in the workplace. Bosses are like this. Managers are like this. Co-workers are like this. The primary difference between how far a person or a particular leader will go is all related to how much authority they have. Do you understand? Why do, why do, why do some bosses are particularly evil and mean and harsh and then all of a sudden you find that they're firing everybody? Well, because they have the authority to do that. But if somebody's above them says stop firing people, guess what? They stop firing people. The only reason why Herod had John's head lopped off was because he had the authority to have John's head cut off. Isn't it great that God puts in some checks and balances that protect us from getting as bad as it could be? You know, I I think this is I think this plays into the slavery argument from our American society in the past. People were given authority, too much authority, and they put it over other people and treated them horrifically. Why? Because of the barbaric, barbaric hearts were given that authority. When we are given this kind of authority, we can treat people horribly. Just for the record, guess who that includes? All of us in the room apart from God's grace. Every single one of us in this room would be that barbaric if it wasn't for God's grace. What do we need? We need the gospel. We need Jesus. So we have seen here, Herod acted wickedly by arresting John for getting confronted. Second. We saw Herod used restraint initially in dealing with John, but finally we see, and it doesn't take much to understand this, Herod foolishly follows through on the execution. Herod was eventually manipulated into murdering John, having him executed. Look at this passage. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. So much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oath and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Boy, isn't this a sad testimony. Forever, Herod will be known for having the forerunner of the Messiah executed on his birthday. Ooh. Is it just me? Or are birthdays particularly vulnerable times for us to do foolish things? 
Have y'all ever seen those little videos, you know, of the kid when they're about three or two, when they've got their cake and, they're, and the kid is just screaming at the top of their lungs? You know what I'm talking about. Maybe y'all have the two-year-old or the one-year-old that when you give it to them, there's just absolutely miserable on that day that they're supposed to be happy and we're making the world all about who? Them. There's something about that day. I don't know about you, but I think we should stop celebrating those things to a degree. Now that I'm getting older, all the kids in the room said, okay, now Pastor Mike's lost his mind. But what are birthdays? They are one big setup for pride. There is no day that you should celebrate me. Hear me. Don't ever do it. Say, well, that's easy for you to say. They've already had your 50th birthday celebration where everybody came in and spoke nice words to you. Yeah, that didn't help my pride any. No, I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate birthdays. As a matter of fact, somebody's birthday's in the room. Dave's birthday's in the room. Dave's like, please don't say that. It was announced in Sunday school. It's Dave Moulton's birthday today. I'm like, oh, poor dude. He's going to be my illustration and he didn't even know it. I'm not saying that we don't celebrate birthdays, but boy, do you see Herod's pride and how it all just comes in there and boom, it's a disaster. It's one big disaster. He invites a whole bunch of people to a big party is what Mark's account says. So he has a whole bunch of people there and then this girl gets up and dances, his niece, but also his stepdaughter. Now the commentaries argue whether or not she danced in a way that was provocative and not appropriate, but to be honest, it doesn't say anything about that in any of the accounts. Maybe it was just a good dance, but I will tell you that Herod's life does point to this kind of inappropriate thought, though, doesn't it? But that would be speculation. The fact of the matter is is that there was partying going on, and Herod was thinking much of himself, and Herod then makes some foolish statement his statement was what Mark 6 tells us about what it is he said to her he swore to her whatever you ask of me I will give it to you up to a half of my kingdom whoa what because a young lady danced a dance you're going to give half your kingdom That's insanity, isn't it? Yeah, that's what sin does. It blinds you and makes you, I'm going to use the word, kids, you're not allowed to use it, stupid. Foolish. It does, doesn't it? Then Herod's fear of man takes over. Doesn't it? His fear of man. It says, look in our passage, it says, although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths. In other words, look, I can't go back on what I said. I can't go back on what I said. She said, give me the head of John the Baptist because her mother, who held the grudge, said, give me the head of the man that accused us of sin. Although he is grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oath and because of his dinner guests. You see it? Fear of man. Approval of man. Dinner guests. Oh, I can't, I gotta say face. I gotta say face. I don't think he should be killed because he's holy and righteous, but I fear people more than I fear God. And it blinded him. And he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. Beloved, how in the world? How in the world? When I look at this, it's like this gigantic struggle that goes on. How would that be a good party? 
How would that be a place, oh, I want to go to that? Beloved, that is the depravity of mankind. And that is why we need to identify Jesus correctly. We need Christ. Everybody in this room, I need him, you need him, we're all sinners, we're all in need of a Savior. Repent and believe in him today. He came into the world to die for sinners like us, the Herods of this world. Believe in him today. He's our hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace and your goodness to us in Christ. That we have ears to hear and eyes to see is all because of your amazing grace once again. Oh, please, Father, help us. Help us to turn from sin, to put sin to death, to not live controlled by the flesh, to not fear man, but to fear God, to know what we have in Christ and all that we have, this forgiveness that's found in Him. Help us to live for You and honor You. Help us to react to the world as they come against us Ultimately, because they come against you, help us to respond with grace and kindness and courage and boldness. Help us, Lord, to look like John in the midst of the struggle, but ultimately to put our faith and our trust not in John, but in Jesus, the God-man who came into the world to die to pay for our sin and rose from the dead to give us life in his name. May you be exalted in all that we say and do today, tomorrow, and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.